1: And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year.
0: Hello everybody, welcome along to the second of our TWTD Blue Monday collaborations and you will see by the man in the large picture that you probably want me to shut up and for him to start speaking very very soon because you will see former Ipswich Town player and current under 23 manager coach, I'm sure he'll fill us in on that, Kieran Dyer. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us, how are you doing?
3: I'm good, thanks. I hear that I'm the second guest. Who was the first guest? Phil. (laughs) Who was the first? Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, Of course, he's he could be my (laughs) boss. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Great first podcast.
0: Um, So, Kieran, the idea of these collaborations is that Phil's obviously up with the current stuff and. Blue Monday. We like to kind of wallow in the the past and whatnot. So, what we're we going to do, if it's okay by you, because um, I live permanently in the past, I'm going to ask you some questions about your great career. Um, we'll focus just on the Ipswich stuff, and then um, if you're cool with that, Phil's going to ask you some stuff about coaching and about um, what's going on down there now. First question, I always love to ask footballers because we have our perception from the outside. For those people who've nev- never saw you play um, just kind of you know picked up after you finish. How would you describe yourself as a player?
3: Oh, um, versatile, um, quick, good IQ, <laughs> um, loads of energy, uh, an exciting player, a player that gets people off their seats and. Um, I think I was very fortunate enough that when I started my career, I was in a very gifted and blessed team that uh helped me show them qualities and made me go on to bigger and better things so yeah, um I sound like I would be about a hundred and fifty million pound player the way I just described <laughs> myself, but I wouldn't go that far but yeah um, i was I was decent uh the best way I can describe we're going to talk about my Ipswich years and as a young kid and it's always, obviously you can win supporters player of the year, but they always say like the main one for a player is when they win the PFA players player, when your peers vote for you. And um, when I retired, um, Jamie Carragher and Craig Bellamy both um, text me and it wasn't just a, because I've retired, they generally meant it when they said, "When we were all young kids, I was the best of the of the lot." And from Carragher, that meant a lot because he obviously had a young Steven Gerrard, a young Michael Owen. So it just goes to show that I always say a big "what if" with my career because if they're talking about I was the best of the best of the young kids, and you think you see Frank and Rio and. CBG and all these players having 100 caps for their countries and Champions Leagues and yes, I had a, a decent career, but nowhere near um, did I have the career that what my early potential um, showed, which is in a way is a one of the big, like I said, what ifs and big regrets, I suppose.
0: Kieran, we asked David Johnson about you, and he said. He was an absolute natural. Now, do you take that as a bit of a backhanded compliment? And can you talk to us, how easy did it come for you? And can you talk to us about the sort of tension, the dynamic between hard work and natural ability? Because when, whenever we have the Messi and Ronaldo conversation, it's always, oh, one just had it natural and the other one worked for it. Did it all come naturally for you when you were a young player?
3: I, again, now, because I'm in my coaching journey, I always say... The better players they take instructions in, you only have to tell them once and they get it. And and yes, I, I would say I had natural ability. Um, I think that we've we talked about my pace and Sir Bobby, I'm sure we'll talk about it, said I was basically, I had two, two hunks, two hearts, sorry, and four lungs. He was like, <laughs> your energy is on a different pl- platform. So my physical gifts were, were naturally there but I think I was one of them players that a coach only had to tell me once and I would pick it up straight away Um, and that's what I say to the players here I say if you can take the information I don't have to keep repeating the same messages and you're getting it it shows to me that you've got so much more room to develop so again yeah I agree what David Johnson says and what is a great example I always bring Frank Lampard up so We all probably made our England debut in front of Frank Lampard. He was probably one of the the last ones to make their England under-21 debut. We all made our England under-21 debut before him. And listen, he obviously, the career he's had is Chelsea's all-time top goal scorer. But his was all down to work ethic. He wasn't, I would say, a naturally blessed footballer. But after training every day, bag of balls, bang, Bang, bang. And when you see him on the football pitch, every time he got a chance for 25 yards, you just know it's a goal. That's not luck. That's practice. And even, I think, his early days at West Ham, he got labelled as a fat and couldn't move. Also, after every day after training, he'd do working on fast feet just to try and get that 5% quicker, sharper. And look at the career he's had. So um, I, do, I do agree with, Jono, with regards to myself, and when you do have the Messi and the Ronaldo, listen, Ronaldo's got a lots of natural ability, but Messi for me is just, that's just God-given ability. And Ronaldo, you see when he takes off his top and he's got this, he's just, <laughs> I, know, I've, I know Ronaldo spends probably about a million quid on his body and the people to look after his body and the right nutritionists and all the latest technology. And yeah, he's, why I love Ronaldo is because he's worked is, yes, it's all, some of it's natural, but he's also put in the work as well. Um, and that's why he's won so many Ballon d'Ors, which is all credit to him.
0: You already mentioned versatility. And it's kind of uh, cart before horse the way you came into the team. Because it's like you already had a place in the team before you had a, a position. So fullback, back wing-back, central midfield, winger, anywhere really down that right-hand side or midfield, defence, whatever. How does how does that work? Is that a positive, having a, having a shirt before you've even got a nailed-down position?
3: See, I always used to think versatility was a, posit- a positive. I just thought that a manager could trust you to fill in numerous positions um, in case there was an injury. I, I take my Ipswich career. I was only at Ipswich, really, for two and a half seasons. I played left-back, I played right-back, I played left-wing-back, I played right-wing-back, I played... All of the central midfielders, whether it be as a two, whether it be as a three, I played right wing, I played left wing, I played off the striker. So I played <laughs> everywhere in such a. And I always used to think that is a, a blessing in disguise. But then when I got left out of the Euro 2000 squad with Kevin Keegan, when he came to that old dreaded knock on the door and uh, you're basically waiting, you're at the. with your eye like through the film when you hear knives coming and you're like. I see him knocking on Rio's door and I thought, oh, Rio's not made the squad. And then all of a sudden I could hear the footsteps getting close. I thought, oh, here come the dreaded news. And he's pulled me in and he said, I honestly don't know what your best position is. And he see it as a kind of, I really don't know if you're a right back, a right winger, a centre midfielder. So it went against me. And even later on, later on when we talk, even with the the Bobby Robson fallout with the right wing, it was like, as my career went on, I was always in a way like the fall guy. Oh, Kieran can play there. We've got a strong team. So, well, okay, Kieran, yes, he wants to play here, but he can do a great job at the right wing or he can do a great job at left wing. Or he could do a great job. So I find, I found that towards the later part of my career when you really want to nail down a position and get that consistency because when you're playing so many different positions, it is hard to get that consistent level going. So um, At the start, when I was a young lad, I was buzzing to play anywhere to be in the first team. But as my career developed, I hated that I could play anywhere because I was often the fall guy.
0: Fascinating. Um, Mm. In your sort of breakthrough season, you played 50 games and you're still a teenager. If you were managing yourself now in 2021 and you had this talent who, like you said, play anywhere, great physical gifts. Would you be playing him for 50 games that earlier in his career?
3: It's a good debate. Um, again, if you look at, especially people with real pace, if you look at my career, Jonathan Woodgate's career, Lenny King's career, Michael Lowen's career, like I said, I played so I played about 100-odd games for Ipswich and like I said, two seasons, really. Uh, the, the first season when I broke in, which was the half half a season I was it was always me and Rich and Ayler on the bench and I'd get the odd start but to play two two years of like I said 50, 50 games a season not even Premier League play players do that now they get rested they get rotated and and why I mentioned them players in particular is because we were so high intense with our speed and energy if you look at the later part of our careers where we couldn't stay fit and we kept breaking down and our body failed us that could have been a crucial a crucial part of why we were breaking down because we played so many games at such a young age. And, and we're not just talking, we were plodders. We were real high intense. Like, one of the big things I always used to laugh at is that in my Newcastle days, because of my body language at times, people thought that I was being lazy and that. And James Milner used to always be the model pro of, oh my God, no one's run further than James Milner. I used to batter James Milner for distances every game I would be the most distance, I'd be the highest intense. But just because my body language gave off this vibe that, oh, he's not really putting a shift in it, it was crazy. So yeah, um if I was a manager now and today and I had like say I'm just looking at some of our kids and they were breaking through, I would definitely rotate some of them, especially the younger kids because you're still growing. Um, Again, there's some players like if they had a, no disrespect, a Paul Scholes type or a a Frank Lampard where they're not relying on that athleticism, that real pace and energy and they were more technical, then I think you can get away with them playing 50 games a season, if you know what I mean, because it's not overexerting their body like it does to someone who is absolutely rapid and does over 500, 600 metres of sprint distance in a game. Where people, we are big on data, and as a coach, I'm bigger the data. I always see the data, and we're saying now for fullbacks, uh, even in the first team, we're looking at if anyone does over 250 meters um, of sprint distance. We're saying that's a that's the what you should be trying to achieve uh, as a as a fallback. But when you're talking about in our days when we're hitting 400, 500 at such a young age, it's like it is. It is It is bonkers
0: Kieran, when you came into that last season at ipswich you, you you already said, Oh, I was just buzzing to play in the first season. How did your expectations change because i uh, you, you you were a good player and you knew you were a good player as well at that point were you then you're playing against you know players that have come down from the Premier League were you expecting to be dominating games even at that young age in that in that sort of last season how did your expectations for yourself change so when the, you know
3: yeah so when the like I, I touched on so in the first season when I broke into the uh, first team I was basically still a, a youth team player a scholar as you call it I was a, in my second year my second and final year I played the game against Crystal Palace um on Boxing Day when George Burley told me to go home and not clean the boots and like I said I had the odd I even started I think I started against Sheffield well I'm, I don't think I know. I started even Sheffield United in the playoff game that season away when Mick, work, Mick Stockwell scores to make it 1-0. So I had the odd starter in there. Um But you do kind of have your doubts. And it's been well documented that I was guaranteed a scholar. I was like the golden boy of the schoolboy program coming in. I'd been guaranteed a scholar from Tony Dable. George Burley comes in, says... I'm not guaranteeing nothing. I need to see these players. So I was already thinking, oh, the manager of the first team doesn't fancy me. So it was like when I got into the building full time, it was like I had to prove to George that I'm worth my place. Um, He obviously, he came to see me. Uh, I was a schoolboy. I played in the youth team. He played Arsenal as well when I played really well. We played Chelsea. I played really well. He offered me a scholar, but I still had it in the back of my mind. It was like fuel to fire me is that I don't think he's really fancying me like the way he did Neil Midgley. I think Neil Midgley and John Kennedy and Chris Keeble were in my age group. I think they had a few first team appearances as well. So my whole first year as a scholar, I wanted to prove that I was better than them, which I think I did prove. And then, when I was a second-year scholar, I don't know if you can remember this, Stuart Niven makes his debut before me. Stuart Niven was again in my youth team. So I'm playing with Stuart Niven in the reserves and youth team, and I'm better than him every game. And then <laughs> they play a game at Sheffield United. He makes his debut. I think Richard Ayler makes his debut that game as well. I think it might have been Sheffield United, and we win 3-1. So I was buzzing because I'm an Ipswich fan that, we've won the game, but I'm absolutely fuming that Stuart Niven is playing in front of me. (laughs) I'm going, I just, this is no respect, no disrespect to Stuart Niven because I really got on well with Stuart Niven. But again, that was where you kind of use every kind of slight. I was just like, I cannot believe he's playing in front of me. And I was fed up with the size being brought up to it because what was so pleasing for me is that when I came into the building full time as a youth team player, when we got put on our weights programme, I didn't realise how quite how strong I was. Right? When it came to chin ups and chest pressing I was up there in the top three or four and I was only like nine stone five and <laughs> five foot, probably about five foot four at the time. So I was thinking they can't use the strength thing against me, because I'm playing in the reserves and playing and that was when it was the real South East Counties League where we were playing the teams like the Wimbledon and all the London clubs who had proper season pros in their reserve teams. And so it was weird that even though I was having some success at the club, even I made my debut and I was in the squad, I always felt like I still had to prove myself. And I think the biggest turning point for me was then um, I'd obviously, I went to Malaysia for the World Cup it was the under-20s World Cup. Uh, Richard Wright was meant to be in the squad and I think George pulled him out because he played a whole f- season and he wanted to protect him. And I went and then obviously when the squad list came through and you see Michael Owen um, who just scored his first Premier League goal about three weeks before at Wimbledon. I remember watching that game on Match of the Day and we've got Jamie Carragher from Liverpool and Danny Murphy was at Crewe but was now signing for Liverpool and John Curtis uh, at the time was, we all knew about John Curtis. He was a Man United boy, but he was like meant to be the best of the best. And me going there now, and I, oh, even Richie Humphreys, remember Richie Humphreys from Sheffield Wednesday? He had an unbelievable first season in the Premier League. He scored some world-class goals. So here I was from Ipswich Town, and I'm now with the elite of what I thought with the young players of the Premier League. And I was like first couple of training sessions I was like I'm better than these (laughs) that's the kind (laughs) of uh, honestly I thought "All right, Michael Owen was very special but everybody else I thought I'm as I'm as good so that season when I came back to pre-season that being with the Premier League and like you said the teams that were getting getting relegated from the Premier League I knew I could hold my own and that put me in good stead and it was it's quite funny because the first couple of training sessions when I came back and it was pre-season and George I was playing right back that season because Gus was injured and I must have said something back to George and he was like, ah, he's been away with me Lynn think you know it all and, da, 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 da. and the way they used to ground obviously it was a lot more animation and swear words but the way you they could ground us back down was, we can't even do that no more and I just thought like I said, I was very lucky that I did have George and I did have the senior players that they could ground you. Um, and obviously as my career went and the the more famous and the more better and the England, I lost that sense of grounding because of all the money and what comes along with it, which again is a great shame. Um, but yeah, Ipswich, I could never get ahead of myself, especially with Simon Milton. Simon Milton was like my mentor, what a guy he was. And, um, I would say Miltz's biggest strength is that, like I said, he could fit into any clique. So you'd have the, George, the Geraint Williams, George Williams, and the older crew playing hearts. He could even he could sit there for two hours having a conversation. And he'd come at the back of the bus with me and David Johnson and Richard Wright. and He was just an incredible guy. Um, and, yeah, it's just a shame he's still not at this football club. And But he's still one of my best friends, who I call a real true friend. And I'll never forget what he did for me on my journey at Ipswich Town.
0: So in that last season, we start to see sort of the the Newcastle version of Kieran Dyer, this central midfielder who's, I mean, I don't know how to do a bit of everything really. Number six, number eight, number 10, not going to sit in one place, going to use your physicality to move the ball around the pitch. Um, there's Matt Holland there as well. So you're the playmaker and, He's the sort of runner. And then Jim Magilton lands in there. And again, out you go to the right wing. But it's a tasty midfield. It's you and Bobby Petter. So you can, you can give Petter balance because you're as, you're as quick on that side. And Magilton drops in. Um, just what about the influence of, of Magilton? And you kind of, I guess, thought you've, you've got the central midfield. You can run the team from there. And you're back out on the right wing to, to end your Ipswich career.
3: Well, um, again, what was great about Matt Holland and what was great about George Burley was that we were very flexible that we could go from a four to a three at the back. Um, he did it with Matt Holland quite a bit. He did it with Steve Sedgley before that. Steve Sedgley would be the middle of the two centre-half, so he'd be the third centre-half. If it wasn't going well, we'd push Steve Sedgley into midfield, shove one of the midfielders out wide into a midfield four. And I can remember, like a... a was talking about my first proper season i started off the season at right back and it was brian hamilton at the time and who said you know what we're wasting Kieran as a as a right winger as a right back and he said to he said to george we need to play Kieran and matt holland in center midfield together which was a big call at the time because george williams was kind of it he was the captain matt holland might have had the captain's armband but he was the real captain of the club Um, and George back Brian Hamilton on it. And then basically from that day on, I went on, and like you said, I became a centre midfielder. And then my last season, I started off with, it was Matt Holland sitting and me bombing on and using my energy. But then with Matt Holland sitting, it kind of took away from Matt Holland's strengths because Matt is a box to box player. He, he was always going to score more goals, than me from midfield and like you said I was quite adaptable with that I'm one of them players who was quite comfortable on the ball and get the ball off the centre center halves and start dictating the play um, so I think George deserves a bit of credit because he tinkered that so not many people know I was like the defensive kind of midfielder getting us playing and Matt Holland was using his energy to score all his goals and then obviously another thing that George was unbelievable he was, he's a recruitment as a manager I, I, I've been quite lucky to see how the new manager and Paul Cook and I was around Mick McCarthy and you, you live and die by your recruitment and George Burley's recruitment and when he got Jim Magilton in I'd never even heard of Jim Magilton I swear <laughs> to
4: God I'm like
3: Jim Magilton is Sheffield, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday I was like he's Sheffield Wednesday reserve team player what the hell is George thinking and then like He came in and was just, (laughs) he was incredible. And um, there was a lot of games though where we would play the three of us in midfield. We'd play three at the back um, and me, Jim and Matt. And that, for me, that midfield three had a a bit of everything. But again, like you said, I think George realised that (coughs) Bobby Petter caught fire in the last part of that season. And we had to have Bobby Petter in the team. You can't have Bobby Petter playing as a wing-back. So we would resort back to a four. And um, he played Matt, Jim and uh, me on the right. Um, and again, if you look at that midfield four, it's got a bit of everything. And um, yeah, we how we didn't get promoted that season, was it was criminal really.
4: Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash blue monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process.
1: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. at participating restaurant's 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
2: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends,
3: was the game that killed us, which was, I was so crap that day as well. It's still, <laughs> obviously, I, I I broke my leg, that, I broke my leg towards three quarters of that season and then I remember we played, I think we played one of the, I think we played Bristol City at home on Sky and we won 1-0 one, one nil and George, Um, and Jim scores the winner and we basically, we, we were basically there. We just had to beat crew and I remember we won the game but I was like, because it was the first real injury I had. and it says, People used to say it takes you a while to get over injuries. And because you're young and you're youthful exuberance, you go, it might happen to you. And I can remember playing against Bristol and I was thinking, I was so crap. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't get my head around it. I was so bad. But we won the game. And then I thought, okay, at least I got 90 minutes under my belt. And then, we, like I said, I don't know if it was the next game or two games later, we played crew at home. And like you said, we had a midfield of me, Jim, Bobby, Matt, and they had Jermaine Wright. And Jermaine Wright bossed the game. I was cr- hopeless again. I started to question myself, like, oh, my God, I'm never going to come back and be any good again. That was that bad. And I always say to Jammer, I got him He's moved to Ipswich, really. Because <laughs> I was so crap that day. He came in and uh, replaced me. And the rest is history, as they say. But, yeah. I was I was really started to go and what is going on here? Um, so I that game against Crew really hit me because obviously I wanted to play in the premiership with my hometown club. And if we'd have beat Crew, we'd have done it. And I'm quite self-critical after the game. Uh, there's no beating around the bush with me if I'm crap. I'll tell it how it was and I was awful. And I, I can remember then it was the game against Sheffield United Um when it was the, we had to win and hope that, um, Bradford, yeah, Paul Jewell would fuck things up over his <laughs> part of the thing. And um, I've played really well that day. I got Skyman in a match, and actually, I think I scored. I did. I score the first goal of that game. I might have had two assists. I think Jim puts a great ball over the top for me. I run. I love the keeper. So, and I ended up crying because obviously we knew we didn't make it to the. To the Premier League, uh, we, we didn't go up automatically. But deep down, I was looking forward to the playoffs because that was the first time since I broke my leg where I felt I'm back. And um, yeah, Bolton, how we, again, how we lost to Bolton over the two legs. We absolutely, Jono killed us in the first leg. I always say to Jono, bloody uh, you scored 30 goals a season, but you had about 30 chances against Bolton at home. <laughs> and you couldn't even take one of them. But uh, yeah, just one. Of Curious, it, was, do you, it was just never meant to be. Do you think that's the game
0: you're most remembered for at Ipswich, the the second leg, where it it kind of looked like towards the end of the game you started to play off the cuff and thought I'm going to try and drag the team through here. What what happened in that in that game? Because you obviously you score. And I don't think I ever even saw you head the ball, let alone score, <laughs> score a header from outside I the did, box.
3: I didn't even know I could head the ball either. To <laughs> that was the, probably the first time I ever headed the ball and to score from... I honestly, like you said, when I went to... Uh, we'd taken an early lead. Uh, we up Hummer and Bolton and then they go 2-1 up. And then when I scored the header, I think... I look up for my mum and you could just see the ecstasy in my face. And even though we went to extra time, what happened with Jim the following year, I thought that was destined for me that I am going to score a hat-trick. I just had this confidence. I'm going to (laughs) score the hat-trick. I'm going to win this game. I really thought that I'm going to put this team on because you remember we had, they had a good team as well. They had good Johnson and they had the Johansson, the Johansson who went and done well in the premier league as well at Charlton. They had a very good team. so. But, like you said, I felt, like I said, after the Sheffield United game and the way the game, me scoring in the last minute to send the extra time, I really thought that I was going to lead us to Wembley and then lead us to the Premier League. Um, I loved that kind of, because I know the lads were lagging. I just had a six-week break from a broken leg. I felt fresh <laughs> as a... I felt really fresh. I was good to go. I was buzzing for extra time. I was thinking, this is May for me. And, um, obviously then when they, they scored a game on the break, um, and then Matt Holland scored the consolation late on. Um, that's when they realised it, that it was, I realised that this could be my last game for, um, for the club. And that's when I went to the North stand and gave my boots and my shirt. And I was thinking, you know what? This is a good way to say goodbye. Um, The club will get a lot of good, good money for me. And for me to progress my career to the next level, then this will probably be the end for me. And I I thought the same for Richard Wright as well. I thought it's probably going to be the end for him as well. But Richard Wright see something I didn't and stayed the lucky get. (laughs) And I went and then bloody... Eighteen months later, I'm looking up at she's Town, fifth in the league, and we're in <laughs> mid-table, struggling. I'm like, you can't write this. It's just I'm just cursed. But Garen,
0: um, even yeah. even today, when I'm I run a Championship YouTube channel, and we we talk to people about recruitment, and I always use you as the example. Actually, I say it doesn't matter if you sell your best player. It depends what what do you do with the money afterwards. And obviously, it was Gary Croft, John McGreal. Marcus Stewart, Jermaine Wright. Are you? Can you kind of rest easy, because you're an Ipswich boy, you're an Ipswich fan, that your legacy was those players that were then the backbone
3: of the next year's team? No, I can't. <laughs> I seriously can't. They well, got to play, they got, obviously I got to play Wembley uh, in an FA Cup semi-final and obviously for my country, but I was there the day when Ipswich got promoted and I'd give away all my England caps for that experience. Wow. Honestly, it was just like, in a way, I'm absolutely. It's game. It's, it's crazy. How can you be an Ipswich fan and all your friends are there, and you're absolutely buzzing? But deep down, you're going fucking lucky pricks, and you're jealous. I'm actually jealous of my friends. Like, it's weird to explain that. Like, I'm gutted they've just achieved that uh, what I want them to achieve, but I'm gutted because I'm not part of it. But then I'm at a Premier League club, a player for England. I'm on probably quadruple the wages that all they, that all of them are on, if you know what I mean. And still I'm like, I'm absolutely gutted, absolutely gutted. So, um, I like to say that when I'm putting my, yeah, and I'm putting on an act and say, yeah, they wouldn't have got promoted if they didn't sell me. And listen, if I'd a stayed, you never know, we would have maybe failed again in the playoffs. But yeah, um, I've got very mixed emotions about it. Cause I really wanted to, I've seen what Steven Gerrard, he's had his moments with his hometown clubs. You just think of leaving Jack Grealish now at Aston Villa, he brings them back up and Richard Wright has sampled that. And i uh, have and I am envious and jealous, and I just yeah, um, but again, like I said, if I'd have stayed, we might not like you said, if I was to play a five a side match against them four players on my own i'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna beat them, so if I would have stayed, do I think I was a better player than them four? I honestly do think I was a better player, but the four of them together were a lot better than me, so um again, it was a great piece of business um from the club but again if I'd have known what I know now um would Newcastle have been my choice of clubs I would have probably played hardball and gone to a club that I really wanted to go to because the Newcastle move came out of the blue to be honest I thought I was going to Arsenal or Leeds at the time um wasn't Juventus one as well yeah Juventus well Juventus were a club that were always watching me um Del Piero even said, Kieran die is a champion. He should come and sign for Juventus, which I've still got the, I've still got the paper cutting of that. I bring that out from time to time. By the way, Del Piero thought I was not bad, but yeah, I would never have gone to, I would never have gone to uh, a foreign country. I was a mummy's boy. Look, as soon as I left my mum and went to Newcastle, it started to go tits up for me. So (laughs) could you imagine me in Italy on my own? God knows what would have happened to me. So, um, yeah, um, it probably. I know that Leeds bidded five million, and Arsenal bidded five million, and obviously Newcastle blew them out of the water for six and a half million. And honestly, when George George, George called me in before training, I got an extended break because I um, obviously was on. I had England duties. I ended up on the bench for the first team against Bulgaria which again is so much like I, I look at, cause I was, I get embarrassed when you talk about Ipswich legends. I said, I cannot be an Ipswich legend because I don't think I had an Alex Matthew moment or was part of a winning team with regards to promotions or the 78. And then you've got club icons and I'm going, am I a club icon? And, mm. But then when I break down my Ipswich career, I achieved a hell of a lot in the two and a half years. I, Like I said, so if you take away the first half of the year when I was in and out of the team I was used to. So when I was an actual professional at the football club, my first year I started off at a right back. I get in the PFA team of the year as a right back. So I'm voted by my fellow players in the league. Um, They voted me and Tariqo in the team that year. Tariqo was left back, I was right back. We're the only two Ipswich players that were represented in the team, which was some achievement. I also made my England under-21 debut that season as a 17, 18-year-old, which, again, is three years beneath the age. I made an England B international. I was an England B international. And then my last season with Ipswich, I make the team of the year again as a centre midfielder now. <laughs> and you think I'm glad. Yeah, that's some achievement to go back-to-back back team of the years by your fellow pros. One as a right-back, one as a centre midfielder. I got called up into the England squad. I was going to make my debut against France. Then Hoddle calls me into the England squad. Um, and that's when he obviously came out with the controversial stuff he did about this is disabled children. So how Wilkerson comes in, obviously he really wants to win the game. He went experience. Um, so I would have made my England debut as a, as a championship player, as you could say. And then at the end of the season, the, the big publication was um, the 4-4-2 and I think I got voted by all the managers of the league, the best player in the league. And I, lo- I love that one because Craig Bellary was number three <laughs> 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 and Richard Wright was number two and I was number <laughs> one. So that's my claim to fame that all these managers thought I was better than you two. So I lived <laughs> off that for a quite some time as well. So, yeah, was like I said, I... Even though my Ipswich career was short, I achieved so much. Like Some players could be at a football club for 10 years and not achieve some of the individual accolades that I achieved at Ipswich, and that's something to be proud of.
0: Right, a couple more from me and then we'll go to Phil who's sitting very, very patiently. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I I just talk about a couple of my favourite goals? Just indulge me for a second, Um, if you can remember them, because I obviously played hundreds of games. Um, Manchester City away, where famously you score the winner in the last minute and you're actually in the wrong position. You were told to... Hold your spot in centre midfield, and the chip against Stockport. I was behind the goal. That seems the most ridiculous shot choice. Was was that you being a bit of an entertainer, or was there some strategy behind trying to chip the goalkeeper when he's six foot three and you're in the box?
3: The Stockport, the Stockport goal. I'm glad you brought that up. Not many people know that, but that was my that was my favourite ever Ipswich Town goal as well. Um, and I always. And Titus and Matt Holland, you always always I wasn't a natural finisher, and what happened because I used to burst from midfield, what was so hard for me, why I missed so many one-on-ones, is that because I was so quick and run thing, I have so much time. Do you know how many things go through my head? Should I dink it? Shall I siphon <laughs> it? Shall I take it around the keeper? And by the time you get to the keeper, your brain's so scrambled, I just end up missing the target. You the easiest goals, I always say, the easiest goals is when you haven't got time to think. It's just an instinctive finish in that. But, but like I said, because of the type of player I was in, and playing in the position I was, it seemed that all my chances happened that I would burst through, leave everyone for dust, and I've got like five, six seconds of thinking. And that one, why I loved against Stockport, was that as soon as the ball come through, I was thinking, I am chipping the keeper. I don't care... If he stays on his line, I'm thinking, I'm not changing. Honestly, I'm going in my head going, I am chipping this keeper. If he'd have stayed on his line, I was fucked because I'd have still tried to chip him. But thank God he comes running out. And then I, like you said, it was a, and we win the game 1-0 as well. So, um, yeah, that was definitely my favourite town goal. And again, the touching on the Man City thing is, and this is even my mantra, I speak to managers. I always pick managers' brains and that. And I always say, (laughs) I hate draws because I think the three points for a win, you could get five draws and be five games unbeaten and have five points. But you could have three wins and lose two and you've got nine points. And I just just don't like this idea of we'll take a draw. I hate that mindset. Three points is so massive. And like you said, we are... I can remember Peter Beersley playing. Was it Joe Roll's first game? It was. Yeah, Joe Rolls. Yeah. And we had the great yellow and black kit, one of my favourite kits. And uh was it the yellow? Yeah, it was the yellow yeah. and black. Or was it the orange? It was one of the yeah, it I was think John was the orange. Green and yeah. black one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, at this time it was Matt Holland who used to make the box and I'm meant to be dictating the play. And because it was one on the last minute, I just won. We're going for the win here. Stuff this, and I could hear George going, "Ee, you little shit!" That's <laughs> just like, no, we're going for the win. And then, like I said, Bobby ripped someone down the line, and he cuts it back, and that was an instinctive finish. Didn't have time to think; just got good contact. And I can remember that game. So me and Gus, we sprint down to the other side to where our fans are. I was, just, I was in the stand, Kieran. and I start doing this dance like this. Me and Gus. And they took because we were in our own half. Them now took the kickoff. The rest, like, we're not waiting for this. And George is going. Honestly, when the final whistle goes, he goes absolutely mad. You big time pricks and all this. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought I'd scored the winner at Main Road. That's nothing to do with big time. But yeah, they were great days. What? A, what? We had a good team. Like I said, I was blessed to play with some fantastic players at Ipswich and. I've always said that and I hate to admit it to him that but Jim Joel was just the best Ipswich Town player I played with just whew, he was just he was a breath of fresh air he was so infectious he he just loved football his drive his determination he reminded me I don't know if players who probably didn't see Jim play if. If they see Rai King play and how demanding he was, like I used to see Rai King absolutely hammer the Neville brothers, like da da da, da. And I'm looking at them laughing my head off, going, you <laughs> like, yeah, it's a stick. But that's how that's the winning drive that they have. And Jim, I'm not saying Jim's Rai King, but he had that same mentality of like, he is gonna drive everybody up to the stance he wants, and he doesn't accept anything. Lower than excellence. Um, he used to honestly, he used to come out some crackers to Matt Holland. Uh, so when we used to play in midfield <laughs> together, he used to just go to Matt, Right, you've got me and you've got Kieran, just give us the ball, tackle, <laughs> give us the ball, and get in the box. <laughs> just little <leave> wings <a laughs> like that. And I'm okay, like, You can't say that, Jesus <laughs> Christ! Like, this is Matt Holland you're talking about, he's playing his you no. Nope. He's got to realise we'll do the ball play, and he gets in the box and score goals. Stop trying to pass the ball; let us pass the ball out. Just little things like that. Just well, he's crazy, but what a guy! But listen, I could talk about the same with Torico, Wapen, Holland, Richard Wright again. Like when you, I'm talking about me underachieving my career. If you'd have told me Richard Wright wouldn't have had a hundred caps for England, I'd have just laughed. He was. What a goalkeeper he was. Skull, like, the list goes on. Ipswich are blessed with so many good players. And that's like, and we're a level below the 70s and 80s. It's just, well, we say that, but Eric Gates, I've got a good story about Eric Gates, and I hey, Philip, Philip. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get onto that later. But yeah, again, the 70s and 80s, Ipswich fans have been, I think Ipswich fans have been very, very blessed.
0: Um, uh, Kevin, be- yeah. before we go to Phil real quickly, can we just yeah. ask you about England because obviously you went in two thousand and two and we've got this strange situation where there's been thirty three picked and it's going to be cut down to twenty six Have you got any idea of um i don 't know how much you keep up with the the, the current squad having having been in it um, but you can you can talk more to just how Southgate's going to do this and get us you know down from thirty three to twenty six because you've already mentioned the 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 knocking at the door. Um, can you give us your read on on England and the Euros?
3: I think why and I think why he's probably picked so many is obviously there's a big doubt about Maguire. Um, that's why I think Ben White's came in. i uh, come in. I think it's also a good experience to see him in that environment because he's definitely going to be one that will play for England. Obviously, there's a big doubt over Jordan Henderson. There's a big doubt about the four right backs. That is a. Phew, that's a tough dilemma. But I think Gareth Southgate's been very blessed where squads are usually 23 players, that is 26 players. So I don't think there'll be any shocks. I think Jordan Henderson will make the squad. I think Jack Grealish will make the squad. I think all, even all four right-backs might make the squad. I really do, because it's been well documented that Trippier can play as a left-back. I think... Carl Walker can play as one of the centre-halves in a free, so can Reese James. Reese James can play midfield. Alex Arnold, Trent can play in midfield. So um, I just think he's covering all bases, really. Um, But yeah, the England squad is very, very stacked. Um, I just worry about the centre-half position. I know we've got, we could say we've got a vested interest because of the Tyrone Mings connection, but. When I was playing for England, the, the, the centre-halves at our disposal was just on a different planet, no disrespect to the current players, but we had Rio, John Terry, Sol Campbell, Jonathan Woodgate, Ledley King, Jamie Carragher, Gareth Southgate, Martin Keown, Tony Adams, <laughs> just like, wow, and now we've got, we're talking about we might be going in with Harry Maguire, John Stones and then you look after that and you're like mm, they're all very good players in their own right but would you fancy them against Portugal with Fernandes and Ronaldo and all these guys uh, Bernardo Silva it's going to be tough it's going to be tough but I think we're very adaptable I think that if Jordan Henderson's fit I think if we've got a protection of Declan Rice and Jordan Henderson sitting in front of a back four or a back three that is Real protection, and just let our map, let, let our ball winners. The gaffer, Paul Cook, says here we need flair players. We need players that score goals and have numbers. And England have got that in abundance. just look at it. How do you pick a front five out of out of them players? Obviously, everyone's talking about Foden at the moment. I'm a big fan of Grealish. You've got Rashford. You've got Sterling. You've got Harry. You've got Sancho. Just Mason Mount. It's just. Exciting times for England. Just, so I, just, I just wish we had a few more center offs.
0: So we're losing the quarter-finals again then.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but like you said, we might just say, you know what, we'll have a low block, have Jordan Henderson and Declan Rice probably running about 16k, uh, <laughs> doing the ugly side of the game, and with our attacking players, we can definitely be a counter-attacking team as well, so... Kieran,
0: yeah. a- absolutely brilliant, um, brilliant Perfect. memories.
3: Thanks for watching or listening to the Blue Monday podcast. And thanks to those of you who have kindly supported the channel via Acast or YouTube donations. You can follow us at the usual places on social media. And don't forget to subscribe so that you get our new shows first.
2: The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
1: It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping. But in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points.